So, hey, uh, we are starting a brand new series this week. I am so excited about this series. And I wanted to start by asking a question. I'm going to date myself potentially. How many of you have ever played Whack-A-Mole? Any of you ever played Whack-A-Mole? Whack-A-Mole is, you're not going to play this on your Xbox, I don't think. Maybe they probably have one. Whack-A-Mole is an old-fashioned, like, arcade game. And I remember playing this at Sports City in Sandusky. Anybody ever remember? It's long gone now. They, like, paved paradise and put up a Home Depot. And uh, so, seriously, like, uh, it was the greatest place, right? And so we'd play Whack-A-Mole. And the whole idea is, you know, once you get one of those stinking moles down, like another one pops up and you're just trying to beat them all down. And, and it's such a great metaphor for life. Man, it seems like just, you know, when I finally feel like I've got, you know, a handle on a deep-seated hurt in my life, like, up pops another thing, right? You, you finally get a habit, an addiction, you feel like you finally got it under control, and up comes another one, right? And I mean, this is like our life, isn't it? Let me ask you, how many of you have ever stayed up later than you had told yourself you were going to stay up? Shit, come on. How many of you have ever said yes or made a commitment to something that you knew you couldn't possibly keep? Yeah. How many have ever eaten something that you knew you shouldn't eat? Come on, hands all over the place. How many of you known that you should exercise? You had a, a plan, you had the time, you had the availability, everything was there, but you just chose not to, yeah. How many of you have ever put yourself in a situation where you acted selfishly in a situation where you knew you should act unselfishly, right? I'll be, like for me, it's like all of these in one week, right? Like it's like, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I did all of that last, yesterday, right? Like welcome to the human race, right? What I love about the Bible is the Bible is a record of so many people that God would use heroically. I mean, the Spirit of God would fill these men and these women, and yet when you dig into their lives, you see the dysfunction, and you see how they're real, real people just like us. In fact, the Apostle Paul once is writing just this epic letter that we call Romans, and I mean, just packed with the truth of God, and, and in Romans chapter 7, he has a couple of paragraphs where he almost sounds like a crazy person. In fact, he actually says it. He goes, I know I sound crazy right now. I want just a couple of verses that, that he writes. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Man, I resonate with that. He goes on a couple of verses later in verse 18. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I just can't. And we feel that, don't we? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not. Maybe you're here and you're just kicking the tires and trying to figure out what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about Jesus. You still resonate with that. Like there's things that I want to get together and, and I want to get my act together and I just, I can't. And whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're not, like we all resonate with this thought. In fact, sometimes being a follower of Jesus is worse because we feel like, man, I asked Jesus to come into my life. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. I know that he put his spirit inside of me, and yet I still struggle. And then we begin to beat ourselves up and listen to the lies of the enemy, and we get into like the spiral of destruction, don't we? We're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. In fact, over the next seven weeks. <laughs> yes, I said seven <laughs> And what we're doing is a series we're just calling Choosing Breakthrough. Because I really believe that breakthrough, you know, for some people, there's moments like these suddenly moments where God just breaks through the issue and you never struggle with it again and you're good to go. But I would tell you, by and large, most of us have to make choices for breakthrough. 
Now, we don't want that. We don't want to have to choose breakthrough. We just want breakthrough to happen to us. But that's not how it usually works. We have to make choices. And so we're going to start with the first choice this morning. And then next week, we'll give you another choice that builds upon the choice that we talked about this week. And they're all going to build on each other. And so I want to encourage you to keep coming back. And I'll just tell you right out of the gates, like this first choice that we're going to talk about, some of you are going to roll your eyes and go, really? Like that? But we're going to start with the basics. And the first, the first choice is this. It's the humility choice. The humility choice. It's, this is a choice. I admit I need God. I am powerless to control my tendency to do wrong. I cannot manage my life on my own. I will tell like this sounds so simple, but can I tell you, if you don't do this first, everything else is not going to work. Like you have to come to the end of yourself. We're reading from Romans 7. We picked out those two verses a moment ago. Near the end of Romans 7, Paul in exasperation, I mean, you can just feel it all over what he's writing. He says this in verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. One translation says, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever felt that way? Like, what is wrong with me? I'll actually call myself, like, I'll, I'll say to chant, come on. Like, I, you know it's bad when you start talking to yourself, right? Like, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and nature? I would submit to you that, that you can't realize the reward until you first come to this place of recognizing there's something dark inside of me. There's something that is not right inside of me, that apart from Jesus and apart from his spirit, I am broken, I am helpless, I am powerless, I can't do it. You say, Ken, that sounds miserable. You know what? It's the first step to freedom. I can't experience breakthrough until I choose to say, this is the real situation. So let's break this down. I think the first part of this is just humbly admit that I need help. Humbly admit that I need help. Now, I'm saying that in first person, and so you're going, yeah, Ken, you do need help. So let's all say this so I can feel better about myself. Let's all say this together. You say it for yourself. I'm saying it for myself. Humbly admit I need help. I've got to do this. You've got to do this. Humbly admit that I need help. Here's, here's what I've been chewing on this week. My biggest hurdle to break through is my desire to look good. That's deeper than it sounds. See, I can't really experience the breakthrough that God has for me as long as I'm trying to put on this act, as long as I'm trying to act like everything is good, as long as I'm like faking it. I can't experience a true breakthrough. My biggest hurdle to breakthrough is my desire to look good. What, what's underneath that? There's two different sins underneath that. The first one is pride. But you know what? The, the second one is even more important, probably more insidious, is, that, is fear. So I'm constantly, I can't experience breakthrough because I'm so consumed with the opinion of other people. What will he think? What will she think? And so I can never take a deep dive into the issues that are going on under the surface. In James chapter 4, James was a half-brother of Jesus, and he writes this epic letter, and about two-thirds of the way through the letter, he's talking about, like, he's really talking about these issues of breakthrough, and he's talking about, you know, submitting ourselves to God and, and the healing that comes from that, and he says this in, in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, God opposes the who? Okay, let's do this again. God opposes the? God opposes the proud. 
Now, if you've grown up going to Sunday school, you've heard, you've heard this verse, but I want, you, I want this to register. What does this mean that the almighty creator of the universe has created everything that exists, everything put together is less than him? What would it mean that this God opposes you? <laughs> I don't want to be in that position. But scripture says, God's word says right here, God opposes you. When you are in the state of pride, you are opposed by God. But here's the good news. But he what? He gives grace to who? To the humble. This word is the, it's the idea of to the broken. To the, to the one who goes, I can't. God says, you know what? That's the position where I can do some healing. That's the position where I can break through. As long as you're in this position of, I don't need help, I'm good to go, I'm, I'm all right, compared to that guy over there, look at me, like, as long as you're in that position, you won't receive the grace of God. But when you come to the place of saying, I can't, I can't, there's grace. See, this is really all about sin. We use these other words, but really it's all about sin, and sin is bigger than we realize. What is sin? Sin at its essence is rebelling against God. It's, it's breaking his law. It's breaking his rules. It's thinking that I know better than God. Why does God give us his law? Why does he give us his rules? Because he loves us. Like, this is so, Satan twists this in our minds. We think that God gives us laws, that he gives us rules, because he's the cosmic killjoy that wants to suck all joy and life out of us. And so because he's so mean, and because he hates us so much, he gives us these laws and these rules. Nothing could be further than the truth. In Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments, I know there's way more than that, we won't get into it, but when we, where we find the Ten Commandments, he starts the Ten Commandments by saying, I am the Lord your God who delivered you, I love you, I've rescued you, and then he says, and because I delivered you, here are some rules that will keep you in freedom. But sin is me going, I know better than God. I've got a master's degree. I'm so smart. Like, this rule is so like 1700s. Surely we've advanced past that, right? And so that's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is I know better than God. Sin is I will do what I want to do. And we live in a culture where we just want to get as far away from this word as we possibly can. So we strip the word sin from culture itself. When was the last time you heard the word sin like out in the world? Like you don't hear the word sin. Nobody, nobody wants to own up to being a sinner. And so instead we'll say, I made a mistake. So I guess you're a mistaker. <laughs> right? But that's sin and a mistake. Is, no, sin is I deliberately, I knew the truth and I did what I wanted to do anyhow. That's not a mistake. They're vastly different. And what I'm saying is, you have got to get to the place of owning up, I have sinned against God. I am a sinner. Or maybe, maybe we're dealing with deep-seated hurt. I have been hurt. And I've been faking and trying to act like everything's okay when it is not okay, and it hasn't been okay for a really long time. I love what David says 
In Psalm 32, he says, When I refused to confess my sins, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. You know, there's all kinds of secular research. Cleveland Clinic, actually, just close to us, has done a lot of research. When, when, when you hide things, it affects you physiologically. When you're trying to be one way with one group of people and another way with another group of people, there is stress that happens and it result, there's stress even that manifests itself in our bodies. I'm not saying that all sickness is because of trying to hide something. I'm just saying there are some things that are because of me trying to hide my sin. He goes, when I refused, this is David, when I refused to confess my sins, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Have you ever seen like a drop of water, like on these days when the heat index is like over 100 and there's like a little, little bit of water on your sidewalk and it's like, I mean, it just like disappears. He goes, he goes that's like my, how my strength was. Finally, I confessed my sins to you. He's speaking to God. He goes, finally, I got real with you, God. I confessed my sins. I just started telling you what's really going on and how, how I've rebelled against you and what I've done against you. Finally, I confessed my sins to you, O oh God, and I stopped trying to hide them all. And what was the result? And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Can I just tell you this way? Hiding never works. It never works. When you hide a sin, it increases. It only gets worse in your life. The more you hide it, the more that it increases. Why is that? Because your, your, your attention is focused on it. The more you hide something, the more you're focusing on it. Any parent in this room, you see that with your kids, right? Like you can see that they've done something a mile away. Well, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. It's written all over your face. So can I ask you a really important question? What are you pretending isn't a problem? What sin are you hiding? I want you just to take a moment and let, watching online, hopefully you feel as awkward right now as the people in this room do. What sin are you hiding? What sin has yet to be confessed to God? See, this humility choice. If I want breakthrough in my life, it starts with humbling myself before God and just saying, God, I am not okay. I'm not okay. Here's a second. Let's just take this a step further and make this even more biblical. Number two, humbly ask God for help. See, there's this realization that I come to on my own that, man, I, and, and it's not my own. The Spirit is convicting me of it, and so God's already at work in this. His Spirit is hovering over the darkness and the chaos and the dysfunction of my life, but I come to the place of recognizing all is not well. I can't. I don't have the power to do this. I've got to go to God for help. I, I humbly ask God for help. Paul writes something in 2 Corinthians that I've just always found, 2 Corinthians 1 is just an incredible passage of scripture, but he, he, he's talking about the suffering that he's gone through in Asia, and I'll just tell you right now, like if, if, you, if you're going through some stuff, and I know a lot of you in this room are going through some stuff, can I just tell you, you can relate to Paul then. Paul went through some stuff. He was opposed on 
every side. He had the empire after him, and he had the temple after him. I mean, he, and, he, and, and they, the, anytime that they would find him, they would imprison him. They would do all kinds of nasty stuff to him. They would, several times he was stoned. They thought he, he was dead because they had thrown these boulders at him, and he looked like he was dead, and they walked away, and God brought him back. And I mean, just crazy stuff that happened to him. Shipwrecked. He says this, he says in the second part of verse 8, he says, we were crushed and completely overwhelmed and we thought we would never live through it. Can you see the despair there? Verse 9, he says, in fact, let's just be honest, he goes, in fact, we expected to die. Like, I literally thought I was going to die. Paul is saying, we went through hell. Some of you in this room feel like that. You, you've been through, you feel like you've been through hell. Look at what he says next. But as a result, like, like what I hear Paul saying is even in the midst of this, this, this was the activity of God, but as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God, and I love this, he, he could have put a period. We learned not to rely on ourselves, but we learned to rely on God, period. He could have done that, but he doesn't. You see it on the screen behind me. But as a result, we learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God, let's say the rest of it, who can raise the dead. Oh, I love that. I did just learn to depend on God. Oh, by the way, he is the God who raises the dead. I thought I was going to die. I despaired of my very life. But in the process, God was teaching me something that I didn't even know he was teaching me until I looked back and saw it. I wasn't depending on myself anymore. I was now depending on him. And in that, I experienced his resurrection power. I, I don't know what you're going through. But God wants you to, he wants you to experience his resurrection power today. You say, Ken, what do you mean? There's somebody in this room and your marriage is like hanging by a thread. I want you to know God can resurrect that marriage. There's people in this room that you or someone you love has gotten a diagnosis of cancer and you just, man, you have no hope. It seems like every bit of hope has been sucked out of you. I'm telling you, God can resurrect that person. The God who raises the dead. God can raise a dead person. He can raise you. Have you asked God for help? Specifically, have you said, God, I can't do this. I need your help. Have mercy on me. You say, well, I prayed a couple years ago and God didn't do anything. <laughs> Paul, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. I really, truly believe that there was a season in Paul's life where that praying without ceasing was probably just constantly, God, help me. God, help me. Maybe you don't have a better eloquent prayer to pray. I can tell you God leans in and listens when his children go, I've sinned against you. I've been hurt more deeply than I've ever admitted. God, I need you. Only you can help me. God, help me. Help me. Here's a third thing. I'll just warn you, we don't like this one. Okay? We as American Christians do not like this one. Number three, humbly accept help from other people. Like, I, I want to be able to go into a prayer closet. I don't know what that looks like for you. Like some, 
You, you want to go into this place, you want to come into the sanctuary, come to the front, and you want to pray, and, 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 and pray with earnestness, and pray with emotion, maybe even pray with tears, and that you're going to get up from praying, and that God just does it all on his own, and that you don't have to tell another living soul about it. I want that. <laughs> but God wired us in such a way that we don't get well by ourselves. Look, look throughout the Bible, the, the power of community in the Bible. It starts with the very beginning. God himself chooses to reveal himself as Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That God himself is living in perfect community, in perfect relationship. God looks at the man that he created, and he looks at him and he says, it is not good that this man is alone. God, Jesus, when he, when he had his earthly ministry, he never sent out somebody by themselves. Never. Even to get a donkey. <laughs> Two of you. Right? Like, whatever the tech, why, why? Jesus understood the power of community. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, Solomon says this, he says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, someone who falls alone is what? They're in real trouble. God wired us in such a way that we only get well in community. Some of you are carrying around a sin and you've never told anybody else about that sin. You've, you've asked God, you've, you've confessed it, you've, you've asked God to help you, and it seems like it just, it's that whack-a-mole, it just keeps popping back up. Like, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. This thing still, it's like, it's like a snare, it's like it just keeps trapping me, it keeps pulling me down. What am I going to do? Listen, you need to tell somebody. So, so Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead, 40 days later, he ascended to heaven where positionally Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that, right? Everybody in here know that? And so, and yet, the New Testament writers, not just Paul, but other writers, talk about something that is still existing here on this earth, even though Jesus has ascended, and they refer to it or this organism, this living thing, as the body of Christ. And it's a mystery, right? Because Jesus is now in throne. He's, he's at the right hand of the Father positionally. What is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is what? It's us. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. Church is one another. And so, so we go, Jesus, help me. And God says, I've given you the body of Christ. Just as the body of Christ, when he was physically on the earth for three years, he was healing people and ministering to people and, and casting demons out of people and, and loving on people and rebuking people. He does that through his body, through us. So I want to get well all by myself. And God goes, and this is why the first, the first choice for breakthrough is Humility. Because it takes a whole lot of humility to say, I'm struggling. I've got a sin that I've never talked to anybody else about before. I've got a hurt. Someone else did this to me. It was their fault, and yet it has been lodged so long that I've never told anybody else about it. I keep praying about it. 
and I get released for a moment, and yet it's right back there. Listen, you may, you may need the help of the body of Christ. And this is so hard. It's so hard, isn't it? To Ken, what does that look like? It's, <laughs> I'm not saying this to be snarky, okay? It's not everybody in this room calling me tomorrow. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I am not the body of Christ. Okay, you got to hear this. Because we live, you know, we had this Protestant reformation of the priesthood of the believers. And Satan is so insidious that 500 years later we're back to the man of God and everybody else who's lowly and peons and all that. No, we are the body of Christ. Look at the person next to you and say, we are the body of Christ. Listen, I love you. I'm available for you. I will help you. I'll pray with you. But listen, we are the body of Christ. You need, I can't be connected to every person in this room. You need some, you need some close, mature, godly believer friends in your life. Where everybody else, you come in the church and they say, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. All right. Because we all lie to each other on Sunday mornings, don't we? But it, it's like a greeting. It's like, good morning, good morning. That's what we're doing. We're, good morning, good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Okay, good. My favorite is, how are you doing? I'm blessed of the Lord and highly favored. You want to say, okay, God bless you too. You need some people in your life that when, they, when you say, I'm good, that they'll look you in the eyes and go, how are you really doing? I'm a mess. need some people that when the bottom falls that there will be a human being to just say can I hug you right now there's been times in my life where you know what I didn't need a lecture I didn't need a scripture verse I remember one season in my life I was away from home and I just wanted someone to I'll be honest the thing I remember and I was like a teenager I was like I just want somebody to hug me right now somebody in this room you listen this is the body of Christ this is how Jesus hugs you. <laughs> it's through the body of Christ. We need each other. So I would, I would challenge you, man. Find somebody in your life. If you don't know anybody else, call me. We'll, we'll connect the dots. We'll make that happen. How we really want to see this happen is through life groups. And one of the horrible things of COVID is that it decimated our life groups. I'm fighting against it like tooth and nail right now. I'm like, ah. And so here's the thing, like, listen, you can start a life group. Did you know that? You say, what's a life group, Ken? Don't you have to have like a master's of theology or don't you like, listen, if, if you're willing to have three people hang out with you and you're intentional about it, this isn't like, yeah, we get together once every three months. No, I mean, there's an intentionality, there's a consistency that you're going to get together, you're going to look at God's word together. Three things I think should happen in every life group. You look at God's word together, you pray for each other, and you're just with each other. So there's some element of the word of God, there's some element, before we go, I'm going to ask, what can I pray for? I'm going to look you in the eyes, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for you about? And there's some element of, Man, what's going good in your life? Like, let's just talk about life. How are your kids? Like, what's going, like, there's some element of just, we're connected, we're hanging out, there's prayer, there's the word of God. Does that make sense? This doesn't have to be difficult. 
You don't have to go through a class. Let's just, let's just make this happen. Like, if you can, do you have three people that you know of? If you don't, give us a call. We'll try to connect you. But could, could you open up a home to three people? You don't have to have 15 people. I think a lot of reasons why our life groups went south during COVID is people were like, I don't want 15 people I don't know carrying all their diseases into my home. But would you trust three other people being in your home? You say, I, I, you know, it's risky. There's all this stuff out there. I don't want to have a church in my home. But I'll allow some of the body of Christ into my home. And we'll even help you out. We have a resource, free resource called Right Now Media. It's kind of like Netflix or Disney Plus. You put it as an app right on your phone or right on your Roku or Amazon Fire or Apple TV or whatever. And it's got thousands of Bible study videos. And there's a great video series that I would love for you guys to go through by Chip Ingram called Breakthrough. Chip Ingram's a great Bible teacher. And, and, and the, so the studies right there, the Word of God, you don't, have to, you don't have to be a Bible teacher in your life group. You can let, the, let that happen. And then, and then there's discussion questions, and then you pray for each other, and you just try to do some life together. Real easy. You email me, I'll get you the, the life group questions, the discussion questions, we'll get you access to all that. Listen, do you hear the desperation of my voice? The reason why, because we need each other. In fact, in this point, in, our, in, in our, where we are right now as a country, we need each other more than we ever have. And the enemy has caused division on 20 different fronts, trying to divide us. Why? Because he knows that breakthrough happens as I admit that I need help, as I admit to God that I need help, as I go to other people and say, please, be a part of the help. So let me, let me close with this passage of Scripture, way off the reservation there. Seriously, you want to you do something with life groups? Email me, call me. My email address is ken at explorejourney.org. You've been saved three months, and you got three friends. You got some heathens in your life. Bring them on. You know, they don't even all have to be Christians. If they'll get together at your house, get together. Man, this is how revival stuff happens, right? Romans 5, 6. I'm going to close with this. Romans 5, 6. Paul says, when we were utterly helpless... Do you recognize that you're helpless? Oh, gosh. God, I love, I love this verse. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. I love the language of that. He came at just the right time. He sees you and he loves you. And he knows what you're going through. He knows what you did last night. He knows your shame. He knows the things that you're proud of that you just don't even have anybody to tell that you're proud of. Like he, know, he sees all, he came at just the right time. And what did he do? He died. And I, I love this last part for, let's say this together, for us sinners. Some of you don't like me using that as an identity because you're like, well, I'm not a sinner anymore. You know, Paul, Paul is really funny in his letters. His, his earliest letters, the letters closest to Jesus' resurrection, he, he, would, he was constantly struggling to try to get people to understand that he was an apostle. It's like, I'm an apostle, goodness sake. Like, you need to recognize I'm an apostle, right? But he would say, I'm the lowest of the apostles, but I'm an apostle, Right? And then, and then he would, like middle of his writing career, 
he would talk about that, that he is a, a sinner. He would, he would talk about himself as a sinner. The last couple letters that he wrote, he actually calls himself the chief of sinners. Like present tense. We don't like this. Like Bible scholars really are like, Paul, what is wrong with you? Like you got some psychological issues going on? Like I think what Paul is just going is, can I just be humble here? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I've, I've talked long enough. We're going to talk about the hope of Christ next week. In fact, spoiler alert, next week is going to be the hope choice. Some of you are walking out of here going, this was a really down Sunday. <laughs> Can I tell you, these choices all build on top of each other. So we've got to start with the humility choice. We've got to start with the fact, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've got to own up to it. I've got to bring this stuff before God. I've got to allow other people into my life. But I just, I want you to know there is hope, but it starts with humbling yourself. When we humble ourselves, God has grace, remember? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we start with a position of humility. So can I ask you with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, what's unhealthy or out of balance in your life? What secret sin is sucking the oxygen out of your life right now? What needs changing? I'm going to ask you this morning to take a really hard, difficult step. It's a humility, it's a humility step. And because of pride and because of fear, some of you aren't going to participate in this. It's going to be like, what are people going to think of me? But with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you say, Ken, this choice is for me. This morning, I need help. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a hurt, something that happened to you. It could be days ago, months ago, years ago. It's been lodged deep down inside of you, and now you just find yourself like you're a different person. You're carrying around like this grudge, this hatred, this anger keeps kind of spilling out of you at the most inconvenient times. It, it could be a number. I'm, 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 what I'm saying is it's not just one thing. Maybe it's, it could be a number of different things. But if that's you, with everyone's eyes closed, heads bowed, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Would you just say, if you say, hey, I, I need help, would you just stand to your feet right now? I just help you out? There's a lot of people standing, okay? So if you're sitting right now and you're going, I would love to, but I know I'll be the only person. Oh, no, you ain't, honey. No, you ain't. Father, I pray right now for those who have taken this step. And even as I pray, if others want to stand, you're welcome to do that. God, I pray for those here who are struggling with shame. Maybe they're struggling with guilt or secrets. Maybe it's a secret sin, a habit, a hurt, a fear of being out of control. God, we humble ourselves and we acknowledge to you that we need you. That we are utterly helpless, but that Jesus, you came at just the right time and you died for us sinners. And so we receive your grace. We receive your forgiveness. We acknowledge Jesus, you are the son of God that you died on the cross, 
to take our penalty. You died on the cross as our substitute. And you are raised from the dead, proving that you have all authority, you have all power, you can bring the freedom that we're looking for in our lives. So we look to you and we just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Help me. I've sinned against you. Help me. I've been hurt by others. Help me. I need you, Jesus. I come to you. And Jesus, give me the courage to invite others into the healing process. Empower me, Holy Spirit, to talk to somebody else and to invite the body of Christ to be a part of my healing. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you're being seated, especially those who just stood, I just really feel impressed to say this. Would you just look at me, especially those of you who are standing? The enemy is going to beat you up. Why'd you stand? Nothing's different. Things are worse. He's a liar. He wants to convince you that you're the only one dealing with whatever you're going through. Listen, Scripture says that there is no, temp- no temptation except what is common to man. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful, by the way. It's the rest of it. He is faithful. So listen to me. The, the lie is I'm the only one. I can't tell anybody else in the church if they knew about whatever it is. Do you want healing? Then we're all for you. And we've heard it all. Trust me. We have heard it all. So tell somebody. If it's really horrible, call Pastor Aaron this week. Tell him. No, I, the reason why I want you to look at me, and I forgot this for a moment, I got distracted, I apologize. Look at me. I love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you. You're not alone. There is hope, but breakthrough starts with humility. And so this week, I'll maybe take some time this week to even just sit down and just go, God, maybe you're sitting here going, I don't even need this this morning. I'm, I'm a good person. Maybe you need to sit down and just say, God, search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Because I want to make sure I'm walking with the right motivations, the right stuff, all that.